You're listening to another sermon by Pastor Michael Zapata from the Potter's House Christian Church. From the book of Luke, uh, chapter 10, 30 through to 35 this morning. Hallelujah. In the book, uh, The Lone Survivor, there is a mention of a tribe in the country of Pakistan, a small village of a place called Sabre in a remote Kunar province. The story of the lone survivor is that a Navy SEAL accompanied by three other men went into enemy territory were faced with very real obstacles that unfortunately led to three of the men dying. The last survivor, the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell, was looking for a place of refuge and stumbled upon this small village in the middle of nowhere that would go on to rescue him because of an old traditional custom. The tribe was faced point blank with threats from the Taliban after agreeing to help this American soldier. And the reason for it was this ancient tradition that was upheld by the elders of the village known as Pashtunwali. This agreement, this ancient agreement meant that it obligated the village to help and protect any stranger from their enemies. As a result, Marcus Luttrell became the lone survivor, went on to write this uh, uh, popular book uh, uh, to share his story of survival. But it couldn't have happened uh, had this village not engaged into this ancient custom uh, of... uh, uh, Push Pashtun Wali, which got him to survival. In the passage of scripture we're about to read, Jesus is responding to a question in relation to eternal life, inquiring about how to inherit eternal life. He would go on to mention one of the most powerful uh, parables that many used, uh, uh, many use, uh, uh, and I've preached on many times, uh, to capture the hearts uh, of not walking part, uh, uh, past a desperate need or someone in need. What this parable would go on to do is change the motivation of all those who professed to serve God and love Him and do His work. So I want to preach to you a sermon entitled, The Good in You. I pray that God would help us this morning to uh, apply the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Bible says in verse uh, 30 this morning, starting at verse 30, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell amongst thieves, stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down to the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. 
Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. The good in you. Let's look firstly and focus at human nature. Human nature is many times riddled with selfishness. Can everybody say amen this morning? When it comes to helping somebody else, many times we err on the side of selfishness because of who we are by nature. This week, I was challenged. It was about a week and a half ago, one of our neighbors approached us. It was about Thursday night, uh, uh, 7 p.m. They knocked on our door. It was very uh, different to have someone knock on our door. And so when I opened the door, it was these uh, 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 middle-aged people that said, we have lost our little puppy, a dush hound, a little, a little sausage dog. Uh, it uh, has burrowed underneath the fence and has escaped. Have you seen it? They were distressed, they were imploring the neighborhood to help find this little puppy, and so unfortunately we had not seen it, and so we said we'll do all we can if we see it. About four days later, it was Monday, and my wife was going to pick up my kids. Now, I live in Coomera, and our kids go to a school in uh, Pimpama. And so it's, it's not that far away, but it is a fair distance. My wife was driving down the main road there uh, to go uh, uh, to pick up the kids. And as she's driving, she noticed that there was a little sausage dog uh, running around in one of the parks. She immediately called me and said, I found the neighbor's dog. And so I said, well, why don't you try to actually catch it? Uh, and uh, uh, let's see if we can rescue this puppy. She said, I'm on my way to school to pick up the kids. Why don't you try? And so I've just finished work. I'm in Helensvale. And so I drive 20 minutes to Pimpama to try to find this little puppy, see if it's still there. And so I pull over because I see it in the park. I pull the car over. I open the door because I know dogs like a free ride, right? So he's there. He's running around. And so I'm now in my work gear. I'm there. I see the puppy in the bushes. I yell out, here boy, here boy. And the moment he sees me, as if he realized the jig was up, he's got to go back home, he bolts. He makes a break for it. Now I am running in my work boots up and down this street in Pimpama. People are watching me. I'm doing my best to try to usher this dog. It runs away. I lose it. And I spent about 30 minutes trying to find it to no avail. Unfortunately, I was not able to find it. It's Monday night. I was getting ready for men's discipleship. And so I thought, you know what, I'll just go to the neighbors before I go and just let them know that I've found their dog. I couldn't rescue it, but I can tell them where they could go to find it. And so I knocked on the door and uh, a young man 
uh, answered the door. And so I said, uh, uh, look, uh, I think your parents came to my house and asked her to help uh, uh, in search for your puppy. Have you lost your puppy? He goes, yeah, we actually did. And we're so glad that we actually found it the next day. And as he said that, he pointed to a little sausage dog. Now, this was not the same sausage dog I was chasing for about 30 minutes in Pimpama. Could you imagine the moment if I had caught that dog? I, have found, I am your hero. Yes. Build something in honor. And, and I would, whose dog is that? <laughs> you can see why many times we stray away from trying to help. Because many times it's like, I did, I walked away obviously laughing from that. So, but I mean, I spent time, I was running, I was chasing for a complete stranger. Could you imagine if the owner of that dog saw me? What is that person doing with my dog? <laughs> Luring them into their car. Moral of the story, not all heroes wear capes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Moral of the story is that there are always risks when involved in helping other people. It's going to cost you something. It's going to require something. In a passage of Scripture, Jesus strategically uses a priest and a Levite. They were known as men that would do things for others, to help them, to meet the need. And he says both of these men went and crossed over to the other side. That word uh, looks at, uh, uh, means literally looked at and saw. They, they are a, a Greek word uh, that draws an image to stare at or to discern clearly. So these men looked upon this band, this bruised and broken man, clearly saw his circumstance uh, and made a decision, I'm going to cross to the other side. This was deliberate. This is, wasn't an accident. This was done by a clear understanding of what it would require to involve yourself with this person. This is why many times we avoid. We would rather cross over to the other side. What if you go to this guy that is lying there bashed, beaten, and bruised, and his, uh, you know, these thugs that had beaten him are waiting around the corner. You're going to help him out, and all of a sudden you get bashed as well. What if uh, you go to help this man who's lying there half dead, and, and he has a disease, and he's bleeding, and he gives you that disease. Now you're infected. What if all of a sudden he jumps at you thinking you're going to take something more of him and, he, and you get hurt in the process of doing how many stories we've heard of those good Samaritans that have tried to act in a, uh, you know, a noble way and have hurt themselves as a result. The hero that stepped in the way and said, no, don't speak like that, only to be punched in the face, to be assaulted themselves. The truth is, this is why it becomes difficult to act in those circumstances. Human nature causes us to 
cross over to the other side. And this bleeds in to so many difficult circumstances in life. Uh, maybe uh, it's with uh, the issues we face financially. Instead of uh, paying the bills uh, and uh, meeting the financial obligations that you need to do, uh, you run away, uh, you uh, hide, you don't answer any private calls, uh, you stay uh, hidden because, hey, you know what? I know the creditors are coming. Cross over to the other side. Or maybe it's spiritually that you've fallen this week or you made a mistake or there's shame and guilt that comes with that uh, uh, you know, error of judgment, that deliberate sin. Uh, and instead of going to church, you'd rather stay out of church. I don't want to speak to those Christians because they're going to challenge me about my failures. They're going to uh, point me out and make me feel as though I've done something wrong. And so I'm going to stay away from church. How easily we choose to disappear. How easily we choose to just cross over to the other side. I don't want to deal with it. That's too hard. That would require too much from me. But the truth is, is that whether we like to admit it or not, the issues of life never just disappear. That man would still remain there had the good Samaritan not done something. And given time would have possibly become just a, a little cross or some flowers there on the side of the road uh, while people journeyed past uh, year after year knowing, oh yeah, I remember that, I saw that. Uh, maybe even the bloodstains remain uh, there on the ground from this man being so badly beaten. Uh, yet the truth is that never goes away. Issues don't just disappear. So let's look secondly this morning at the desperate need. When I was listening to the story of uh, the lone survivor, it came to the point of this ancient tribe that was willing to risk their own lives, not just the elders, but the whole tribe would have to agree to look after Marcus Luttrell and fight for him, a complete stranger, despite being surrounded by many Taliban forces. In an article referencing the lone survivor, Muhammad, who was one of the helpers, mentioned this. He said, the Taliban hated our village of 60 homes and family. He said, they call us the village that protects infidel U.S. soldiers. Now, soon after he saved, uh, or this village saved, uh, Luttrell. The man by the name of Gulab was actually forced to abandon his home. His possessions and even uh, his pickup truck drew to, uh, due to the Taliban uh, uh, threats were destroyed. Burnt to the ground, his little lumber business as well. His wife and his six children at the time had to move uh, uh, crossing the border to his brother-in-law's near uh, a U.S. base uh, just to stay alive because of the threats that were happening. Now, the unique ancient tradition that upholds these uh, standards is something that no doubt is an image of godliness because when this village set their minds on helping this stranger. They were literally going on record and saying, whatever is, whoever is his enemy is now our enemy. His wounds are now my wounds. His problems are now my problems. 
And you, can, you can't help but think when Jesus was speaking about the Good Samaritan, this would have been a custom that would have been ingrained into the Levites, the priests, and the Samaritans. We know the Samaritans were actually a half-breed of Jewish people. They were people that were interbred with people that weren't right. There was issues that were there. They weren't seen as the true people of God and so there was a, a, a you know segregation in those times but yet Jesus uses a priest and a Levite known to the customary uh, 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 things that they would look after those bashed and bruised and through that these men didn't respond yet a Samaritan did this would have absolutely offended them this would have caused them to speak amongst themselves. How dare he speak about the Samaritans being good? Those two words should not be in one sentence. But see, it's amazing at how Jesus uses this parable to reveal the hearts of many. Because the truth is, is that there is a desperate need. And we choose to either ignore it or to respond to it. We are choosing every single day to make a decision when this village would have stumbled upon this half-dead man. They knew that the next decision that they make was going to affect every single one of them forever. But one man's life was hanging in the balance. Did that mean anything? Did that matter? In the story, it mentions a time when the Taliban realized that Marcus Luttrell was being held at that village and they stormed the village. They surrounded his little tent that he was in and one of the Taliban leaders went in and began to beat him, breaking his wrist, breaking his nose, trying to get information out of him and then one of the elders from the village stormed in and kicked the Taliban out. This was a brave move. In fact, the Taliban never left. They surrounded the village and waited for an opportune time. They were risking everything for a stranger. But what you need to realize is that what keeps humanity balanced is our ability to respond in times of need. Just yesterday I was reading about Australia and what's happening uh, uh, recently with the uh, mental health crisis. This article went on to say that every year, 3,000 people end their lives. That's more than eight people per day commit suicide. This is actually becoming the leading cause of death among young adults. Men and women in the prime of their life, ending their lives because of a situation that has caused them to be disorientated. They're confused. They're bound in their addictions and in their insecurities. And their only hope and option is to end their lives. This is happening every single day. That's a huge need. Can you say amen? 
when lives are being ended every single day. But what about spiritually? Every day that someone doesn't respond to the gospel and passes away, even maybe by natural circumstances, they are standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, giving an account for their lives and being condemned to go to hell for all of eternity. Does that mean anything? Does that matter? Well, I don't know them. They're not my family. They're not my friends. I'm sure someone would have witnessed to them somehow or maybe God would have made themselves real to you. But the truth is, God's looking for a good Samaritan. The Bible says in verse 33 of our text, a certain Samaritan had journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You know, the word compassion has to do with being thoughtful and decent. We're living in a generation today that's being desensitized. When they see something on TV, in a movie, on the news, people dying, hurting, crying, because it is on the media, we actually have seen it so much that we become immune to it. When someone cries, you just kind of go, oh well. Not moved anymore by the stories. And this is why many times reality TV shows will use those people. Well, you know, I was born in this part of the town. I didn't have parents. They left me. I was abandoned. But then I began to grab a guitar with one string and play with, you know, fingers with no nails. And they, oh my goodness. And people just gravitate towards that. They're pulling on the heartstrings. And yet all the while something in their own home or in their area not concerned about then next door neighbor our dog is missing excuse me i'm trying to have a night in with my family could you not knock on my door ever again and bother me with your dog problems slam the door but see compassion is a motivator compassion is what sparks that engine and causes it to keep running. Jesus' ministry was built on compassion for the lost. In Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says that he saw the multitudes, was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He saw them, they were lost, they were heading down paths of destruction and he had compassion on them. He said, they need my help, I need to speak to them. He was compelled to pray for them and lay hands on them and heal them. Mark 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude because they now have continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. This is what compelled Jesus uh, to make food for them so that they would eat. You know, God's concerned about your stomach. God's concerned about the intricate parts of your life. Why? Because he has compassion. Now I say that because if we are truly going to call ourselves Christians, if we are truly going to say that we are saved and we don't see the need and respond to what's happening around it, can we actually truly say that we're Christ-like or 
would we be acting out as Jesus would? That's a challenge. Can anybody say amen? Each and every one of us, no doubt, stumbled into a scenario where somebody said, you know what, have you got 10 bucks, 20 bucks? You go, you know what, I don't carry cash. I genuinely don't. And I've had to say, listen, I can't help you out. Or, you know what, listen, is it okay if you just quickly, can we borrow this, do that? You, you know, at that moment of inconvenience, we're torn between having a, a, a compassion on someone. I wish I could help, but I can't. And yet we're challenged. Not just friends and family members, but what about strangers? Are you aware of the need and are you willing to respond this morning? I want to look thirdly and in closing, ready to respond. Because there's a standard that the Samaritan sets that you and I can follow. Verse 35, 34 and 35 of our text, the Bible says, So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And when he set it on his animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to them, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, uh, when I come again, I will pay you. Uh, in other words, he said exactly what those villagers said in the middle of nowhere to Marcus Luttrell. Your wounds are my wounds. Your problems are my problems. Your enemies are my enemies. Your issues are my issues. Uh, just like Jesus, we're, uh, sorry, just like God with Abraham, uh, when he speaks to him in Genesis 12 verse 3 uh, he says I will bless those who bless you I will curse those uh, who curse you and in all of uh, the families of the earth shall be blessed uh, here is a powerful promise uh, that is given to a man saying you know what I'm going to fight for you I'm going to be with you I'm going to do things on your behalf so that you would be benefited this is exactly the standard that Samaritan sets that Jesus begins to articulate now, preparing to be used by Jesus during these overwhelming times of need requires something of us. Number one, it needs time to allow uh, for it during your busy schedule. You know, we all live very busy lives. Can everybody say amen? It's very easy to be distracted or even caught up. Uh, you know, we've got kids. Uh, we've got to take them down to the, uh, you know, uh, pool for them to swim. Uh, we've got to take them down to uh, music lessons so they can learn an instrument. We've got to take them to school every day. They've got to go to church. Uh, they've got to play games. And all the while, we somehow have to be Christians as well. Reach out to those around us. Do a good deed. Say a kind word. Help a helping hand, praying, uplift. Uh, you know, this can be a miss if it doesn't become a routine. If every day at least you're not stepping out in one way and observing the standard of the Samaritan. Because if you don't seek this out for yourself, you just wait for it to come to you. Well, you know, it didn't happen. God, if you want me to help someone, tell me right now through a dove, a wind, something. Let me know. It's like, no, you know what? It's already been written. Just do it. There's a moment, right? But it's making time in your busy schedule. Number two is not being willing to be afraid to be hands-on. 
that in order for us to meet that standard, it requires us to be hands-on. You know, people need your hands-on help. There is no way that one day there will be robots behind a pulpit playing the music or even in the pews. You cannot ever do away with the contact between human to human, one face to another, looking at each other and saying, is there anything I can do? Can I pray for you? Why don't we fast together? Is there a, a need that you need help with where I can meet that need and help you? Notice how he had to bandage, pour oil, pick him up, place him on his donkey and take him to an inn. That's hands-on. New converts are hands-on. Going to a church, this is why many people would rather just listen to a podcast or, or you know, turn on a TV station and listen to a, a TV show you know, that, that is inspiring. Why? Because going to church is hands-on. It means I've got to get my kids and put clothes on them and then teach them to sit down and stay in the chair for 30 minutes or so. You know, it's hands-on. Number three is a willingness to invest. As a part of changing lives one soul at a time, it is a willingness to invest in those souls. And this isn't always financially. I mean, obviously, you know, there's going to require sometimes you're going to give. And this is why we're challenged with the tithes and the offering and the pledges to be able to give to something that's greater than us. This is what the finances go to. Uh, just uh, in the past month, we've started a playgroup uh, that has been opening up this building so that moms could bring their kids and they could uh, spend time with other godly mothers that need help and be able to uh, be ushered into a, pre into a place, an opportunity to hear about the gospel. We do everything so that people would hear the gospel, uh, but that's a cost that the church pays for. We had to buy things. We had to make an investment so that even just one person would be saved. And there is fruit to that account. This requires an investment. As a church, there are park outreaches. There are revivals. There is just the everyday issues of having to meet the needs and it's an investment we are called to make. This is not going to, you know, pay my mortgage. This is going so that lives would be saved. It's an investment that we are all called to make. And the reason for it is because Eternity is what links our lives to the lives that are lost and perishing. That if we don't tell them about Jesus, who will? If we don't share the gospel, if we don't stop by our, the wayside and just look and stare and make a right decision, who will? Think about Marcus Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell was a stranger in an enemy territory. There is no reason why he should have stayed alive. He was a threat to their village by them entering into a treaty with a stranger. They put their lives at risk. They could have very easily just 
buried him in the ground, left him to die. But one soul matters. And can I say to you this morning that just as you are so important in the eyes of God, so are the people that are connected to you. Just as important you are, you know, God was willing to go to the extremes. Nothing was left behind so that you would be saved, won into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't stop at anything, willing to sacrifice his only son because he loves you, but there are still more that are not saved. And it's one soul at a time. It's one investment at a time. It's one time of just not being afraid of getting hands-on, a little bit dirty, or even taking time from your busy schedule. Reaching out to someone and speaking to them, a helping hand or a kind word. You know, what we're a part of, church, is changing the world one soul at a time. And it has to do, once again, with harnessing this reality. Jesus brings it back to eternal life. You know, we all want to make heaven our home, right? Just me and a few. Okay. Oh, make heaven our home. Hallelujah. That is why, you know, he came to this earth so we wouldn't have to perish. But how selfish would it be for us to just, well, you know what? I've disconnected my phone. I've stopped working. I've moved to a remote country where nobody can, you know, have any contact with me. And I'm just going to live out the rest of my Christian life by myself, just me and Jesus, my homeboy. No, no. We are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called to be pillars and lighthouses and an example to those people around us. What if someone that you are connected to who was going to die and go to hell through your investment changes everything in their lives, uh, they make heaven their home and you're there, up there, going all I said was, hey, would you like to come to church? All I said was, hey, are you free Sunday? And they did, and God did the rest. What we're a part of is changing lives. And God is trying to draw the good in us. Every single one of us can be involved in this last day's revival. We just have to be willing to step out, allow God to use our lives and demonstrate the good that is in us through Jesus Christ in others so that others would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why don't we have every head bowed and every eye closed? No one moving around just for a few moments.